0: Blog Talk Radio
1: man, it was real cool in school. If we got good grades, a like trade up babies, The parents would take us to a '76 game. I got my game, and there ain't no shame. Big shots, the Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone, Julius Erving called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, David, Dawkins, and Tony sinking freeze. Rocky Boba comes to South Philly. But if you wanna make it on time to the show, there's only one role that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Want to get downtown, but feeling a fix Get on that road, they call 676 The most expensive, expensive piece of interstate They ever made about us, they ain't famous But they got the game Getting on, getting
0: on, 76 Welcome to the 76ers Report with your hosts, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky-Blomain. Welcome back to another edition of the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMiniman, alongside 97.3 ESPN Sixers insider Michael Kasky-Blomain. As always, make sure to follow the show on iTunes as well as Stitcher. You can also follow the show on Twitter at 76ersReport. Myself at Sixers blog and Mike at the Real Mike KB. Uh, the Sixers have continued their winless streak in October and November, now spanning three seasons. Uh, we're at 0 and 4 on the year, but there's been you know semi-watchable basketball down at the uh, Wells Fargo Center here, something that's given fans hope for the future. That all starts with Joel Embiid, and uh, Embiid is averaging a ridiculous 17.5 points, seven rebounds in two blocks in uh, the three games he's played so far. He's atop Scott Howard Cooper's NBA.com rookie ladder. Mike, how exciting is it to see Joel, the process, Embiid, you know, really live up to the hype and, you know, the billing here like he has so far?
1: Yeah, man, it's it's pretty unbelievable, to be honest. I mean, I think we all had, you know, pretty high expectations for Joel, but, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say, I mean, at least from my expectations, he's, uh, you know, he's certainly exceeded them already. I think it's pretty impressive how quickly, you know, he's been able to, you know, just put stuff together coming off of, you know, over two years of not playing an actual organized basketball game. To uh, you know, already have three games under his belt where he's leading the rookie ladder and you know is averaging you know basically a twenty and ten and playing great defense. I think uh, you know the sky is you know really really the limit for this kid. Obviously you know knock on wood as long as he can stay healthy. I think uh, you know it's been you know some of the other Sixer players have been a little bit disappointing I think so far this season. Obviously uh, like, like you said we get to pull out a win. So I think for the fans just to be able to see uh you know, something tangible finally from Joel and the uh, the potential that he has, especially combined with uh, Ben Simmons when he, you know, returns to the roster. Uh, you know, even though the record right now is not, not very pretty, I think there's a, a whole lot for uh, Sixers Nation to be excited about.
0: Yeah, I mean, fans are still holding their breath whenever, you know, he takes a fall, but that's to be expected. I mean, it's been three years of – having him sit on the bench to, to finally get to see him play here. And, I mean, the energy just surrounding the the team or surrounding Simmons, it seems like, you know, uh, all NBA fans, uh, players throughout the league are, are really tuning in to, to try to get a glimpse of Joel. Um, and, I mean, it, it's really amazing. I, I think before the season he was around 30 to, to one odds to win that Rookie of the Year award. Obviously that's before – Ben Simmons went down with injury, but to see him, you know, really stand above and beyond the competition level, uh, you know, obviously you said that it was really unexpected, but, you know, realistically when you think about the talent Joel has, uh, you know, do you think it's possible for him to end the season with that award?
1: Yeah, I absolutely do, and especially now seeing the the playing time that he's actually getting. You know, I think his uh, he's already up to twenty four minutes in the last game he played, which is you know obviously half of the game. I think that's you know a little bit more um, than they than I expected him to be playing at this point. And obviously, I you know as long as he stays healthy, I only kind of expect those numbers to uh, you know, ramp up a little bit. They've already kind of backed off the uh, the fact that he's not ever going to play back to backs. Uh, You know, recently Brett kind of. Uh, danced around that question so later down the line it's it's possible that he could be seeing you know more minutes and maybe even some back-to-back action so uh you know initially before the season started I was kind of skeptical about his uh you know potential to win the award just based on the fact that I didn't know how his counting stats would be based off you know how how much he was playing but the fact that he's actually getting you know some ample ample minutes and in that time he's you know he's basically averaging a point a minute uh you know a rebound every two minutes you know, with that sort of production, I think it's it's certainly feasible that he would win the award, especially with, uh, you know, like you said, Ben kind of on the sideline there, and not too many other rookies putting up, you know, eye-popping stats so far, so, um, you know, if Joel can continue this production, and you know, especially if his minutes get a little boost throughout the the season, I think it's uh, definitely uh, something that he could uh, come home with at the end of the year.
0: Joel, looking for you know, now back from injury, uh, they're kind of you know, doing a rotation here on the back-to-backs where, you know, Embiid will play the next night. He'll sit and, and play Savocha for. Do you think that, uh, you know, this is something that they're going to continue with without, you know, throughout the season or, you know, as the season progresses, they'll see how Embiid responds to, you know, seeing an increase in minutes and eventually he'll, you know, play through that and, you know, do the back-to-backs.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it's definitely a fluid situation. But I could see a, a situation, you know, later on in the year. He continues to, you know, look increasingly comfortable out there with uh, you know, with increased minute load. I think that it it could potentially uh be that he you know, he plays in back to back to this season, you know, obviously eventually down the road, you know, next season and moving forward. That's uh you know, that's gonna be what's expected of him. So it wouldn't be bad for them to kinda get a look at, you know, how he handles that and try to you know, they're not always gonna be able to do the the swap that you implied to uh, spoke of with Okafor and Embiid on back-to-back nights. So I think uh, eventually they're going to have to see if those two can sort of complement each other on the floor at the same time. We haven't seen very much of them, um, you know, together on the court so far this season at all. And, uh, you know, obviously Nerlens, we haven't seen him with with Joel at all in in the season either. So I think it'll be a, you know, it'll be a fluid situation that depends on both, you know, Embiid's development and progress throughout the season and also kind of how, you know how the big guy rotation sort of you know uh, pans out throughout the year.
0: So in this last game against the Magic, uh, one the Sixers really should have won. Embiid was put kind of in a lousy situation by by Coach Brett Brown. He was given the ball at the top of the key for two straight possessions, both times kind of fumbling the ball away, which led to a Magic win. Obviously, Embiid ultimately committed those turnovers, but. Do you think Brown might deserve more of the blame for kind of his lousy play calling at the end there? We all know this isn't the first time we've seen Brown kind of choke away those uh those games late in the game you know i mean
1: that that's a great question, and you were certainly not the only person to uh you know kind of point the finger at, at Brett Brown. I saw that you had uh, you know a pretty good tweet up after that game about you know accountability on Brown's end, and there was a uh, you know certainly a few other uh you know sixer uh voices that expressed a similar a similar thought I certainly definitely uh see where where you're coming from I mean I'm still a little bit in, in the like the side of I think it's a little difficult to judge Brett uh still even in this season obviously it's his fourth year but you know this team that he's dealing with now is basically an entirely new team uh you know it's kind of devoid of some some you know very necessary positions they could certainly use some shooters and some uh you know defensive players so I think with you know what he has to work with it's not it's a little bit difficult to judge him but at the same time uh kind of like you implied too there's been some trends that have emerged over the past few years especially in late game situations where we seem to see the offense kind of bogged down not a lot of ball movement a lot of you know like iso plays like you said at the end joel uh, of that orlando game he was kind of put in a a weird situation where he was alone at the top of the key with the ball to make a play rather than, you know, some sort of ball movement and downscreen situation Um, and and stuff like that, obviously certainly points to the coach. So while I'm not quite in the camp of, you know, it's time to look, look somewhere else, Brett has to go. I do think it's it's definitely worth monitoring, um, you know, going forward. This is the first year of, you know, since the process started that I think wins are kind of not, you know, not expected, but obviously Brian Clanslow is not looking for, another 10 win season. So I think it will certainly be uh, worthwhile to kind of pay attention to going forward, how Brett does, you know, in every aspect of the game, but especially in the, uh, you know, in these late game scenarios where the Sixers seem to be basically right there throughout the whole game competing. And then they get down to the final five, six minutes, and they just seem like they can't pull it out, which is, uh, you know, certainly indicative of coaching. So I think that's a, you know, a very valid point, something to pay attention to going forward.
0: Yeah, obviously, you know, not fully, you know, filled with the talent we should have with with Simmons out, but this really is the the first time that fans are really paying attention, it seems like, to the Sixers. You know, a lot more fans tuning in to watch Joel Embiid play, uh, to watch this team play. You know, they're tired of kind of waiting and, um, you know, uh, seeing loss after loss. So, you know, Brett Brown really is under the microscope kind of for the the first time in his coaching career. So for fans to see that in, you know, such a close game, especially with uh, the history they have in October and November recently, you know, not being able to win in those months, uh, you know, it, it is a bit concerning to me to see Brown kind of continue that trend where he just can't get it done at the end of close games and, you know, calling, Joel Embiid kind of in isolation at the top of the key that's just putting him in a position to fail you know he he's a lot more comfortable down low obviously yeah. uh, and uh you know he he's shown that this season you know you have a serviceable point guard either in you know Sergio Rodriguez right now or TJ McConnell to get him the ball down low yeah I, I just didn't really understand his play calls in, in that situation and uh you know, it it will definitely be something to monitor in the, the upcoming games. Um, but uh, as as we all know, Ben Simmons released his his documentary One and Done last night on Showtime. I saw it this morning. I know you haven't seen it, so I, I won't really get into the the details of it. But I'm sure <laughs> you saw his his yeah, of course. Uh, I'm sure you saw his comments on the N C A A, seeing that saying that the NCAA is really fucking up by not paying its players. Uh, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, responded by saying that nobody is really putting a gun to his head to go to college. You know, we've seen how, um, you know, Emmanuel Moutier or Brandon Jennings have have gone the overseas route for one year just to come to the NBA. Um, Mike, what do you think about the situation overall and, uh, you know, are you, geared up to see that documentary soon
1: yeah man absolutely i can't wait to watch it especially well you know when you and i were talking this morning and you were saying how awesome it was and then i was uh you know looking at the uh reactions on twitter last night and it seemed uh overwhelmingly uh you know positive reviews i was pretty mad at myself for canceling showtime a a couple months back so uh you know i I definitely got to secure myself away to uh to watch the documentary but you know from (laughs) what i was able to glean from, you know, basically what, you know, what I read online and, you know, the brief conversation that we had about it, it it definitely seems like it's, the documentary itself, it just seems like it's a great way to kind of shed a light on a, uh, you know, on a situation that's really kind of, you know, uh, a sticking point in professional sports and professional basketball, especially ever since the NBA kind of instituted the, uh, you know, the age limit uh, back in 2005, it gives you know, it puts people like Ben in that situation where they have to make a decision. And, uh, you know, obviously no one is holding a gun to his head, like you said, that the, uh, the president of the NCAA said, but I think that most, most would agree that, you know, the best players, uh, you know, they want to come into the NBA in America and get into the NBA as quick as possible. And as far as, you know, getting your name out there and being a top pick, it it bodes well um, in this situation. It seems for players to go to college, um, you know, in America for one year. So, you, you know, Obviously, I haven't seen the documentary, but in that aspect, I can't fault Simmons for that. But I think it's just, uh, you know, that's it's a sticking point in the league that I, I'm sure will be touched on in the, uh, you know, the upcoming collective bargaining agreements, whether or not they're going to, you know, maintain the age limit. But uh, I've personally never really been in favor of the age limit. I, I You know, I think if a player thinks they're ready at, you know, 18 out of high school, it's their decision. Um, obviously, we've seen, you know, things go both ways. You have your LeBron James and you have your Kwame Brown. So, you know, it's really up to the, the individual and I I think it, it should be up to them to really be able to make the decision on their you know, on their own. But uh you know, you're you're the one that's seen the documentary, so uh, you know, I would like to hear your opinion on the matter without too many uh spoilers if if you could.
0: I mean, I would say this. So I don't necessarily agree with Emmert. I understand where he's coming from though. Like, you know, no one's pointing a gun in your head to say you have to go to college. Ultimately, this was the NBA's decision back in 2005 to make that rule. Um, you know, I'm sure there were some backdoor dealings between the NBA and the NBA at that time, uh, you know, in terms of trying to keep that talent there a little longer. So, uh, you know, some of those top programs can still get paid. And, uh, and that sort of thing, I, I'm not saying it's right, I, I think, in many aspects it's wrong. I think, you know, down the road, they definitely have to figure out the best way to, you know, if they're using a player's liking to sell jerseys, to sell tickets, uh, you know, through commercials, what, what have you, you know, there has to be some kind of revenue for these athletes in college. Um, you know, maybe that would be like some kind of account set up where, uh, you know, they they may not be paid while they're in college, but at least they'll see that money as soon as they leave. Uh, you know, I don't know what I would do as a, a college freshman getting, you know, a $50,000 salary. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think things would be a little different, um, you know, in, in terms of how my college experience uh, turned out. But, uh, just, just a yeah, I mean, they, exactly. uh, I mean, it's something they – exactly. I mean, I think – it is definitely something the NBA will have to, you know, really consider. Especially because you know the the light that's being shed on the issue now is stronger than ever. You had John Abrams uh, with with his book, uh, just talking about that that whole situation. Now you have this documentary from Ben Simmons doing the same thing. Uh, you know, players are going to read this. Players are going to see these things and they're you know going to start you know maybe not riding but you know they're they're going to have strong opinions on the issue and you know they're going to want something to be done sooner rather than later uh so yeah i mean i think overall the documentary documentary was fantastic everyone should go out and see it um as we all know you know ben simmons kind of talked about how you know, there was a report that said that he'll probably be sidelined for the entire season. Uh, but he kinda shot that down saying that, you know, it it's his ho- hope and goal this season to get back out, out on the court. Uh Mike, do you you know, believe Simmons here? Do you do you think that you know, I know there's been some pushback with his agent Rich Paul, obviously LeBron's agent as well. Uh do you think uh Simmons will actually see the court maybe, you know, around all-star break.
1: I fully believe that Simmons wants to see the court. Like when he says, you know, uh, we talked about this on a past episode there, you know, he took a lot of heat from college about his work ethic um you know apparently the documentary last night kind of shed some light onto you know how hard his work ethic is I'm sure you could attest to that I haven't been able to see but uh you know since he's been drafted by the Sixers and uh, the access that I've been granted everything that I've seen from Ben Simmons is he is is an extremely extremely motivated basketball player you know he wants to be great he wants to be one of the best and you know from everything that I've seen I'm not with him behind closed doors chilling but he wants to do it for the Sixers he wants to you know he's happy to kind of embrace the role of being the new face of the Sixers and kind of lead this team around. And I, I do fully believe that when he, you know, had the the foot uh, injury at, at the beginning of uh, preseason that, you know, he was, he was very devastated. I think he, you know, wanted to get out on the court for the, you know, the Sixers as soon as possible, get out there with Joel and, you know, kind of just give the fans and the rest of the league and everyone else that's been following him for, you know, the past couple of years with the documentary just, you know, to really show what he can do. So when he says now that he, you know, his goal and he plans to come back by January, I I fully believe him that that's what he wants. And I fully believe that he'll put in the work to make it happen. Now, with that being said, um, obviously, there's other factors that are out of his control that you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, Rich Paul, his agent. Obviously, agents have tons of power in today's NBA. And there's also the Sixers who have obviously been, you know, extra cautious with the comebacks of their, you know, injured star players. And there's always the off chance that come the middle of January, we're, you know, 10 and 43. And they just don't want to risk him coming back at that point And he sits. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily banking that we're definitely going to see him, but I do believe that he wants to be out on the floor and he'll put in the work. And if it was solely up to him, he would be out there. But, you know, I can't necessarily speak on the external factors that kind of might impact that, that decision eventually.
0: So we talked about, you know, Brett Brown's kind of, uh, you know, under fire a little bit the, the past week. Uh, do you feel like, you know, as soon as Ben Simmons returns to the court, whether or not that's this year or next year, that that's kind of his his real audition as a coach, and then, you know, he, he may be really on the hot seat where his job is on the line?
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of how I've been feeling about it, and that's kind of why, while I absolutely understood the criticism he received and has been receiving recently, especially regarding the late-game play call, I, at least the way I think it is, it's a little, like I said, it's kind of tough to judge him. I do think, um, you know, if Simmons comes back this year and we're kind of starting to work, once he really gets his full arsenal, I think is what I'm getting at, that's when yeah. it's, you know – Fair to kind of begin to you know not even us but for Brian Colangelo and the front office to really look at him, you know as of right now it's it's again we're four games into a roster of players that have basically never played together, uh, you know guys that rookies, guys that have played overseas, guys that have been injured. I mean it's a lot of patchwork for him to deal with right now, and uh, especially considering you know we we don't have Ben Simmons, Nerlens Noel, or, or Jared Bayless, three guys that were you know figured to be big big rotation guys this season. So he certainly kind of has the deck stacked against him right now. But once, you know, once if New Orleans gets traded and things kind of settle down, Ben comes back, Jared comes back, and we have, you know, the arsenal that we were kind of expecting to have, I think at that point, um, absolutely. I mean, eventually, eventually Brett kind of has this grace period that, you know, we've all understood and absolutely been on board with. But eventually, you know, that's going to end, and I think that, that grace period is going to end, that is, and I think that will come. You know when Ben returns and the you know the team kind of gets solid and, and starting to look you know moving forward. Hopefully that comes uh, you know in January because I know I can speak for both of us that we're both super excited to see Ben Simmons out on the court with uh with Joel.
0: So the Sixers uh, kind of made a surprising move. I mean, to us, we talked about on our last show how we wouldn't be surprised if you know Jeremy Grant didn't make the roster just because we have so many bigs on the team already. Obviously, when uh, Elton Brand announced his retirement, made an extra spot for him to to stick on the team. But, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant traded to the thunder for Ersan Ilyasova. Uh, two kind of different players uh, around the same size, but, you know, Ilyasova's, Kind of a shooter, Jeremy Grant's more of an athlete, known for his defense and uh, kind of leaping ability more than anything. Um, so, uh, as part of the trade, we also received a future first-round pick that it probably will never come over in the first round, protected, you know, one to twenty uh, from Oklahoma City. After that, it'll become uh, two second-round picks, which is the most likely scenario. Um, so. You know, it's an interesting trade. Uh, Ilyasova actually had a pretty quality first game with the Sixers, you know, 14 points, two of six from downtown. Um, He's always kind of been a a shooting threat throughout his career, uh, four seasons of 74 threes or more. You know, do you like this this move by Colangelo, and, and do you feel like, you know, it's more helpful to have a guy like Ersan over Jeremy this season?
1: You know, this was one – I really didn't feel much of a reaction either way. I I, I understand it. Like you said, we had kind of talked about Jeremy Grant. And, honestly, I like Jeremy Grant as a player a lot. Uh, You know, I think he's versatile. I I like what he brings to the floor. Uh, With that being said, I think it it was a topic we discussed on that he kind of – he might – you know, not that he would necessarily get lost in the Sixers rotation, but they just have so many front court players and, and forwards, especially right now on the roster. But he just didn't have, a, like, a clear, defined role at this point. I mean, you're thinking in, in, in the forward spot alone, I mean, Ben, Dario, uh, you know, Robert Covington, Hollis Thompson, Nerlens, Jalil, I mean, Rashawn. There's a lot of guys that that play that forward spot. And, you know, Jeremy, as, as talented as he was, he just didn't have, uh, like, a, a clear-cut role It seemed like going forward, more so kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, which – It's great to have, and that's kind of the only head-scratcher for me. You know, Brett has kind of emphasized how he wants the team to have a defensive identity. And, you know, Jeremy Grant is a guy that has shown a lot of potential on defense, especially as a guy that can be versatile and, and, you know, defend a couple different positions and switch from, you know, a perimeter guy to a big pretty quickly. So from that aspect, I thought it was a little bit strange to give up a versatile guy like that for, uh, you know, sort of a more one-dimensional big guy in, in Ilyasova. But at the same time, like I said, I think he was kind of a lost a lost guy in, in this roster as it currently stands. Um, you know, he was obviously a second-round pick at Hinkie a couple of years ago. And it, it's decent to get some value from him while, I mean, obviously, like you said, that the first-round pick is probably not necessarily going to materialize. It might turn into a couple seconds down the road. But, uh, you know, there comes a time where if they just didn't think that, you know, he was necessarily going to get enough burn to keep keep him around, you might as well kind of cash in and get something that, you know, an Iliasova that they could at least use in the meantime to kind of benefit some of the, you know, the younger guys having a guy like that that can space the floor playing alongside Ben and, and Joel and Ja will certainly, I think, benefit them. So, like I said, I, I understood the trade, and it was one that I, you know, although there was, I had questions about it, it kind of made sense from, you know, the view of the why they did it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the outside, outside shooting, especially – lately uh you know the the production we haven't seen from uh Robert Covington. It was very alarming that you know they had to kind of pull the trigger on something here uh you know obviously Ilya Sova is not gonna you know blow any one away with his athleticism um but you know that that is something that that we need as a team and and Nate Jeremy kind of expendable. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it was nice to see him dunk all over Kevin Durant in, in his kind of first game with the, the Thunder there. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, a decent trade for the Sixers. Is it going to move the needle much? No, but it'll at least, you know, give us something that, that we desperately need the rest of the way. Um, once again, this is the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McBeneman, alongside Michael Caskey, Blomain. And, um, you know, one of the kind of surprises slash uh, biggest bummers, I guess, for the Sixers through the offseason, through the current season, has been just everything surrounding New Orleans Noel. Noel. Uh, there's not really one thing in particular that you can point out as a positive, which is, you know, saying a lot. Um, you know, we, we heard all kind of preseason that he had this groin injury which then turned into, you know, a minor left knee procedure, uh, the same knee that he injured in college. So it's, uh, you know, very alarming. We we heard some some recent trade rumors, one involving Alan Crabb and the Blazers, uh, another one involving Terrence Ross and the Raptors, uh, two teams both uh, considering Nerland's Noel an option at the center position and and seeing uh, what they could get, I guess, uh, you know, in, in in place of their current players for Noel. Mike, I mean, we've kind of beaten a dead horse on this, this issue, but, uh, you know, how frustrating is it for you to, you know, have such a promising young player who's so good defensively that, you know, seemingly wants out of Philadelphia and, you know, is just in a, a weird place right now? Yeah, man,
1: absolutely. I I think we I mean you and I both since uh you know we started doing this podcast have been, you know, pretty big fans in New Orleans. He's obviously, like you said, a, a defensive anchor. He's uh you know, the longest tenured uh processor other than Hollis Thompson. Obviously, you know, he's been here uh since the very beginning and you know, the situation right now I think it's uh it's definitely unfortunate and it's, I I hate you know, both of us it's not I'm not even pointing the finger at Sam Hickey, but what's happening right now is one of the drawbacks of the process and just, you know, constantly selecting best player available. Um, you know, it's it, just the way the team ended up developing over the past few years and the way we drafted with, you know, to have this log jam at, at the big guys right now. And it's unfortunate because there's just not enough, you know, not enough minutes for all these guys to go, go around. I mean, New Orleans said that in media day and, you know, he was, he was right. It was strange to hear it coming from a player and uh, you know, it's, definitely strange to see this coming from nerlin's a guy that's been you know pretty behind the process and been involved all along it, it's unfortunate and it seems at this point it's really kind of progressed to the point where you know a trade out of town is kind of the only solution you mentioned a couple that have been uh you know popping off with rumors recently the the blazers won and today uh, this morning especially since i've woken up i've seen uh, you know, quite a few reports about the Raptors' uh, perceived interest in Netherlands and like you said, a, a deal with uh, Terrence Ross and a, pro- a potential protected future first. Um, you know, and it's it's, it's tough because we, I think, all thought that Nerlens could be a guy that would be, you know, really part of the the process moving forward as, as like a defensive anchor that that could be built around. And at, at this point, I think a lot of us are coming to the, you know, accept the fact that he's he's probably not going to be here. So uh yeah I mean it, it's just unfortunate I think that it that it kind of had to come and end in this way where there's obviously you know animosity between the player and the team and uh you know it, it you can feel it by the the fan base can feel it and I think at this point the best thing would just be a uh you know a resolution to the the situation in general and, and uh you know that sounds like at this most likely resolution will end up with uh you know Nerland's being shipped out of town but uh you know what what are your thoughts on the situation
0: yeah, I mean, it's something we've we've talked about for a while now. It, it stinks it has to end this way, seemingly. I mean, the Sixers picked up their contract options on, you know, Jill Okafor, on Joel Embiid, even on Nick Souskis, uh, without picking up Nerlens Noel's, Noel's, um, making him a restricted free agent this summer. It, it doesn't seem like even, you know, if he lasts that long on the Sixers, like they would match uh, a team's offer on him it just seems like you know his value is probably at its lowest point since he's you know become a sixer uh and it's 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 frustrating you know you wonder what noel can can draw at the trade deadline even at this point you know not having played a game yet this season coming off of a a minor knee procedure where you know beforehand we were thinking we might be able to pry you know, a third pick from, from Boston. Uh So it, it's just frustrating how low his value is getting more than anything for me. Um, you know, if he wants out, that's all well and good. It's well documented, I guess at this point, but uh, yeah, I mean, Terrence Ross, Alan Crabb, it, it doesn't really blow me away those types of deals. Um, yeah. It, it's hey, little- just frustrating. It makes,
1: it makes you think back to that, uh, you know, at the end of last season when there were those rumored trades about the Hawks and, and Jeff Teague, uh, you know, at this point, w- would you take Jeff Teague for Nyland's Noelka? Because I yeah. think I would.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely would as well. I mean, yeah, Jeff Teague is old, but at least you're going to get thing out of him and maybe a potential, you know, uh, signing after the season. I think that was the main drawback was that he was also on the last year of his deal you know, uh, a one-season rental for a player at his age at point guard, a uh, seemingly replaceable position, it it just seemed uh, kind of untimely and perplexing at the time. But, uh, you know, with how things have pro- progressed since then, I mean, I would take Jeff Teague in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's crazy. Um, So, I, I mean, I mentioned that, Nick Stauskas, uh they did pick up his option for the upcoming season. Were you a little surprised by that news just considering how poorly uh, Stauskas has really played over the past uh, year here? I mean, he's had a, a couple good games to start the season, but nothing really, you know, of, of great worth. Were you kind of surprised by the Stauskas news?
1: I was a little bit surprised, uh, you know, as you said, I think he hasn't quite uh, really broken out to the level that, you know, some of us would have hoped since he was acquired from the Kings um, last summer. But with that being said, I mean, he's still a, a guy that, you know, is known as a shooter. He was drafted in a lottery, you know, just two years ago for his ability to be a shooter. And that's an area obviously that the Sixers, you know, certainly need now and will, you know, absolutely need going forward as the team continues to build. And it just seemed kind of like, a, you know, like a low-risk move. He's obviously still on his, his rookie-scale deal for, uh, you know, two more years. And, it, it just, you know, it did surprise me a little bit, but it also just came off as a move almost like, why not? You know, like, uh, I think it was good for his confidence that they did that, uh, you know, before he even had played a game yet yeah, this season. They kind of just right off top, they're like, yeah, we're going to re-up on you. So I think, you know, this uh, – obviously this year is make or break for Nick. Uh, you know, I think in the league as a whole, not just with on the Sixers. I mean, if he is – you know, if he's unable to kind of find his stroke and be a little, you know, slightly more productive and consistent out on the floor this year, his, uh, you know, his NBA days might be numbered. But in the short term, I think it, uh, you know, it's not like his roster spot would have been, you know, better spent uh, elsewhere, I don't think. And I think it makes sense to give him, uh, you know, I guess one more opportunity to kind of find himself in the NBA. You know, he's a guy that obviously has been on two different teams in two seasons and has kind of struggled to recapture what he was able to do very well in college. But You know, he was obviously picked eighth overall in the lottery in 2014 for a reason. So I think it's – I guess it's wise for the Sixers to kind of give him one last chance to try to, you know, capitalize on that skill set that he has.
0: Another, uh, you know, kind of disappointing player on the team I mentioned earlier has been uh, the play of Robert Covington, and and he knows this. uh, You know, he's trying to really get out of the funk, but averaging just four points, through his first four games, uh, shooting just five of 26 from the field, four of 21 from from three-point range, really kind of his specialty as a player. Uh, You know, last season averaged almost 13 a game, um, 35% from three. You know, have you noticed any any change in him or, you know, in his his shooting mechanics or, you know, what has been the issue that you've seen with, with Robert?
1: Dude, that's a great question because uh, I was gonna go out this morning and put his face on a milk carton with uh, the missing caption <laughs> underneath it because he is he has literally <laughs> been MIA and that's a guy that I think both of us uh, you know going obviously I'm going back in the the annals here from a couple years ago that's a guy that I think both of us have been really high on since the Sixers picked him up you know we kind of pointed to him as the you know the validation of the process you know a guy that was kind of a diamond in the rough that. Look to be a guy. I mean, I, I really thought that he was a, a player that could be, you know, if not a starting caliber forward, or at least a heavy rotational minute uh, forward, you know, on a team, a guy that could play three or four. And I, I don't know what it is with him this year. I don't know it, his mechanics don't seem to be different. To you know, to answer your question directly, it, it seems like there's. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I feel like he's taking like a split second to think before he shoots, almost like it, He's like second guessing himself or something, which obviously. You know, it's a a kryptonite for shooters. And shooters need to shoot and and not think about it. So I I, don't, I really don't know, but it's a, uh, you know, it's something you pointed out that that when we were talking about the trade with Jeremy Grant earlier, you know, that might not have been necessary to acquire a guy like Ilyasova had Covington been producing um, throughout the mm-hmm. season, uh, you know, as he was kind of expected because that you know he has the size, the range of, of a guy that could probably play a stretch four in today's NBA and play alongside and complement some of these guys that we have and I think you know at least I was expecting some of that I know some of the other Sixers uh scribes were expecting similar production from Covington and it just hasn't happened and I think you know some of that led to them thinking that they needed another stretch for like but to kind of you know help Joel and, and Ben when he comes back and those guys so uh you know it's obviously four games into the season still it's still early I don't want to panic yet but uh you know my I guess what I expected or thought that Robert Covington could be for the Sixers moving forward has uh, it's shaken a little bit. I guess you could say I need to see some, uh, you know, some increased production and, and a turnaround for him, or else you know his his future with the team is a uh, you know, not not written in stone. That's for sure.
0: So if uh, Robert Covington's kind of been the most disappointing Sixer, uh, the Sixer who's actually gone above and beyond what anyone thought. Uh, is Sergio Rodriguez. I mean, this guy is off to such a hot start. 12 points per game, 7.5 assists, 4 rebounds, and he's even shown the ability to shoot from the outside, you know, shooting 35% from three-point range. Uh, You know, we we talked about how he might be able to give Jared Bayless uh, a run for his money for the the starting point guard spot. Uh, Do you feel like, you know, he might even be the – you know, starter as soon as Bayless comes back.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, really impressed with Sergio uh, to be honest, it, not that it wasn't a surprise and not, not saying that I was expecting him to play quite as well as he was. I did expect him to have a pretty positive effect on the team, especially the offense. I think, uh, you know, his defense leaves a, a little bit to be desired, especially out on the top of the, the key there, the perimeter. Right. I think some opposing point guards are, uh, you know, kind of getting into the pain a little bit easier, but yeah, on the offensive end, he you know certainly has shown the ability to run an offense, and, and his shooting has been a you know a pleasant surprise. And I think that you know definitely he could you know kind of hold on to that starting spot going forward, especially early going when Jared comes back and he's kind of getting his feet wet. Um, you know, his Jared's ability on the defensive end might give him a little bit of an advantage. But uh, you know, Sergio is he has that entertainment factor too that uh, you know I think a lot of the Sixers fans got to hmm. see
0: a little bit in
1: the Olympics over over the summer um you know i I didn't remember him too much from his blazer days back in the day i remember watching him a little bit but he he just has that that flair to his game that makes him exciting to watch but he's also you know fundamentally sound he has a real uh, solid basketball iq he knows where players are going to be he knows where he should be and he knows where the ball should be so um you know i think that that's proven to be a really great and exciting pickup and uh if if he doesn't end up starting, you know, when Jared comes back and Jared Bayless does take that starting spot, that will still only, you know, go to help the team overall when the, with the depth because then you got a guy like, you know, Sergio will be playing the minute that TJ's playing and, you know, so forth. And I think in, in general it's a, it'll be a good thing, but his play has definitely been, a, you know, probably, like you said, the most, you know, other than Joel, who has, you know, obviously had high expectations. I think Sergio has been the most uh, pleasantly surprising so far this
0: season. So, uh, Jalil Okafor uh, most likely getting his most extensive minutes of the season tonight, Um, and especially, you know, kind of the first time playing with Joel Embiid extensively. Uh, He's supposed to get 20 to 24 minutes. Uh, You know, he played pretty decently. Uh, He had 24 minutes against Charlotte, 12 points, five rebounds in his first start of the season. Uh, Do you think – Joe uh, or sorry Jalil will be able to you know kind of recapture his offensive prowess that you saw last season um you know getting more reps in practice getting more time on the court I mean
1: I, I definitely hope so you know I think he's looked a little bit out of place at time coming in on, on the second unit and not necessarily you know not knowing his exact role but I think like you said he wasn't um you know he really wasn't able to play ball all summer uh, he's you know obviously able to work out and get himself in solid shape and i think that's already you know kind of showing on the court you you can see where he's uh you know a little bit fitter and seems to be uh, able to move a little bit better but um you know i do think that once he you know kind of gets per minute restrictions weight uh lower a little bit and gets his feet under him um that he's he's you know we so we all saw what he was capable of offensively last year and at least for the time being until they kind of figure out the rotation, I think having him and Embiid staggered is pretty, you know, a pretty nice approach you get, you know, that way you get one go-to, you know, post-score with each group. You always have one on the floor. And if that's his role even going forward in the season, if he's able to embrace that, I mean, we're talking obviously about a guy that's used to be in the, you know, the big dog and the number one guy everywhere he's been his entire career, basically up until last year with the Sixers. But, you know, if if Jock had kind of, Embrace that complementary role to Embiid. You know, he could really do a lot of damage against some of these, uh, you know, the second second string bigs across the league. Um, so I think there's still, you know, the, the verdict obviously is still out on Ja as it is with Maryland. But I think there's room for him to be very productive on this team and the roster as it's currently constructed. He kind of just, like you said, he kind of just needs to, you know, keep getting his his feet under him and kind of get his get his groove back. Hopefully. So we've got
0: uh, undefeated Cleveland coming in tonight. Uh, you know, No wins for the Sixers us yet. Do you see uh, this one, uh, the Sixers pulling out their, their first win?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that uh, their first victory <laughs>
0: will be tonight, unfortunately. The
1: Cavs, uh, you know, I'm sure as, as you and your brother know firsthand, have looked, you know, fantastic so far this year. They actually kind of remind me um, last year after the Warriors won that title, and, you know, people were kind of saying, oh, you know, you only won the title because Kyrie and Kevin Love were hurt and the Warriors came out last year on that, you know, crazy streak to start the year with Luke Walton as the coach. I forget the exact number. It was like they won their first 20 or 22 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cavs kind of remind me, not that I'm not saying they're going to win 20 straight, but they, just, they seem very, you know, focused, driven, rather than a team that has the championship hangover. It seems almost the exact opposite with, you know, with LeBron as the leader of that team, keeping them motivated. They seem like they're, you know, on a mission to really get right back to the finals and beat the Warriors again. So, uh, you know, as much as I would like to say that Joel's going to hit a game winner in LeBron's face tonight to uh, give Sixers the- <laughs> that first win, I just the Cavs just feel like a team that aren't going to lose games, really, that they're not supposed to lose this year, you know, especially now with, you know, early on in the season with the whole team at full health, LeBron playing great, Kyrie playing out of his mind. It just doesn't seem like, a uh, you know, a great situation for the Sixers.
0: Well, once again, this was the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Chef McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky-Blomaine. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll have some exciting news regarding our podcast in the coming weeks, and, uh, you know, it should be a good one tonight against Cleveland.
1: Jeff, always great talking Back in
0: 1982,
1: man, it was real cool and the school if we got good grades, I straight up phase, the family was taking to a 76 game. I got my game and there ain't no shame. Big shots, some old cheeks and Moses
0: Malone. Julius server Carl, Phillips Home, Bobby Jones, that was and Dance, Tony thinking freeze, Rocky Bobby.